The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. So tonight is week four. Welcome, everyone. Want to just to uh, check in about the meditation and not just the guided meditation tonight, but how you're doing your <coughs> compassion, loving kindness practice at home. Just to check in, good time to share or ask questions about how to do this practice. Remember, it's okay to do it in the way that's taught in the path of purification, the Vasudhi Maga, which is generally how a lot of us learned initially the practice, where you're using different categories in a set number of phrases and and it's a, there's some real advantages to having that more structured approach. But in particular, these last few years, um, under the influence of the Thai forest tradition and just how the sutta practices, the way the Buddha taught loving kindness in the discourses, um, it's much less structured. And really, uh, the central theme is as quickly as you can to use the expansive quality of love itself as the object of meditation. So any questions about how we've been doing the guided meditations, how you can practice at home before we go on? And the real, yeah, Andrew, why don't you wait for the mic, please? Um, I was just wondering if uh, you had any suggestions Okay. Um, if you had any suggestions on um, skillfully working with anger when it's there, is it just over this week I had noticed some situations where like I I knew enough to know that that wasn't the like energy that I wanted to bring in responding to a situation. I even knew enough to like understand like what like the the object of my anger was going through, but there's still like just this really this it's hard it's hard to put down and i, I was one of the things I used was something Shelley mentioned at the young adult retreat, which is just like compassion for yourself like it it's it's hard and this is hard I, I was wondering if you had any other suggestions on skillful ways of working well, with mean, that when the, it's there yeah that's the trick is to realize that we can have meta for the anger. And remember, metta is not, it's not out there. It's not an out there move. It just means acknowledging it. I mean, that, that alone is a huge step, just to acknowledge that the mind is angry, that it's tight, is, can only really be done from a kind place, that clear acknowledgement. Oh, yeah, it's like this. Often the problem is we want to move on. We want to get back to a different place, but that's not metta, that's the aversion. Aversion begets aversion because it's unpleasant. So we notice that we're angry and we want to get back to the place where we're not angry, but anger is begetting anger. And that is the infinite ocean of samsara. I was just looking at this uh, earlier today. One of my favorite quotes from long ago, one of the... uh, Teachers for Joseph Goldstein and Sharon Salzberg and many others in the West was this very well-known Tibetan teacher, Nosho Kempel Rinpoche, uh, Nosho Ken Rinpoche is his name. And there's this wonderful quote where he says, and for me it just brings up the brokenheartedness. 
you know, and that's what that's all we need is a doorway into an authentic, natural experience of love. Because then the seeing the love as you know that attitude, that trustworthy attitude of basic goodness, then it's a compelling object for meditation. But it has to show up. So the question is, how we show it? How can we help it show up? Well, this works for me sometimes. And the quote is, rest in natural great peace, this exhausted mind, beaten helpless by karma and neurotic thoughts. Because <laughs> right? it's just, it just, they're so true. And then it's not done. <laughs> like the relentless fury of the pounding waves in the infinite ocean of samsara. Now, I don't know if everybody in this room has watched on Lake Superior on the ocean and you see a big surf just pounding away one wave after another hitting the shoreline the rocks or whatever and it it's like there's a lot of power and over and over and then you see how sand becomes sand you know it wasn't didn't start off as sand you know shells getting crushed and ground down rocks and and uh So this is the thing about life. We can either see life as it is and somehow irrationally think it's be good to get tight, or we can let it loosen us up. Those are our two choices. It's going to loosen us up anyway, right? But we can imagine we can resist it like that. I I wish I, I should memorize it, that poem I love by Havis. The translation is something like, well, I won't get the whole thing, but the, the setup is you're playing chess with God. And uh, the poet, the person writing the poem, is saying something, you know, that the Lord, the God, the nature has made such a great move that you're just tripping over joy. You give up. I surrender. Tripping over joy. And then he looks, poet looks at, you know, the person listening to the poem. Whereas you, my dear think you have a thousand serious moves, right? And that's that life hasn't tenderized us enough. So we'll go ahead thinking I need to be in control or all the ways we justify being angry, being tight. And that's really what I wanted to continue talking about tonight. Because uh, that those habits of being angry actually turn out to be really powerful ways, powerful doorways to love. Because in just a little turning, the mind can see how irrational the anger is, how much weight, how, how uh, self-punishing the tightness of self-righteousness and judgment and that critical mind is. And it can really break the heart wide open. Or not because <laughs> it's as the buddha says it's murderously sweet right that poison dart of anger it's murderously sweet it's seductive it makes us feel so real when we're angry thanks andrew any other thoughts about the meditation yeah lewis and then tim all the way in the back of the room andrew i'm not quite sure how appropriate this is but i it's been a difficult day, and I find myself with a complex of emotions that I've been 
uh, what struggling with all day. It's some mixture of of uh, grief and anger and hopelessness and. Uh, mm. I've been trying to just be with it, but it seems like it doesn't it's doesn't easily go away. And part of it comes up because of the political craziness that that I'm witnessing and maybe and also a part of I can't claim to be a part of it, you know, separate from it. But I guess I'm just trying to Um, stay with the practice with um, some kind of openness about, you know, if I just hang in there, I'll get some different insight or things will loosen up. Or Or it will wear you down and you'll be even more swept away. Because a lot of times we... Because to the nth degree or in the ultimate sense... I think you're right that on some level, at least intellectually, we know that this aversive response or this despairing response to life isn't appropriate. But we have to also understand that we're conditioned, that you know, part of what this is is this conditioned mind that is going to, like those dispositions we have embedded in the conditioned mind, they're going to get triggered. And if we keep looking at the messiness of the world or the injustices or the this is or the that's that are triggering, we can't, uh, even though we know on some level that it's all impersonal or that the anger isn't helping, doesn't mean we won't fall into that hole. And, and we'll, as we get more exhausted, we're even more likely to fall into the hole. So one way we can express that this isn't the whole truth you know, that the divisiveness, for example, isn't the whole truth, is we can turn away from it and and pay attention to something that's not triggering. And here's the example from the time of the Buddha, which is really, I think, interesting, because here we have, you know, at least as the stories go, and it makes a lot of sense to me that this person that we refer to as the Buddha was free, had up, uprooted habits of greed, anger, and delusion. But when things got really messy, sometimes he left, right? There's a time when the monks, for some seemingly stupid reason, when you read the discourse, uh, got in this schism, and they were just fighting, 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 and the Buddha went to them and basically told them to cut it out, and they said, don't, don't get tight about this, Buddha. We'll handle this. We don't want our teacher... <laughs> You let us handle this. And the, and the Buddha, you can just imagine him mumbling, you idiots. <laughs> and he left. And he went deep, deep into the woods with only a, an elephant who was also being bothered by the herd. <laughs> and it was just the two of them. Elephant could feed him. I guess like the elephant would get bananas or whatever fruit offered to the Buddha because he couldn't you know, get food for himself. And they stayed there for, I don't know, it was a while, like a month or so. It was, it was more than a few days. And uh, so it's interesting. Like if the Buddha 
has to take his attention away from the craziness, the messiness. Maybe we do too sometimes. And this is like a real issue when, for all kinds of reasons, we're more aware of how you know, unjust, how messy things are, how much the world needs attention. Sometimes leaning in fearlessly, responding, engaging fearlessly is the ticket. But now when our mind is despairing or heavy or reactive or angry, that's the time we're basically proving to the mind, to the heart, that it's okay to turn away and hang out with a friend or laugh or leave and go somewhere quiet for a while. And uh, like in a perfect world, we go into jhana. We'd go into a deep state where the mind, the awareness retreats from the sense gates. So the eyes work, but we're not seeing. The ears work, but we're not hearing. The thinking mind works, but we're not thinking. Right? We retreat into the mind itself the mind that's not temporarily not sensitive to the world. And you know, a lot of times we might immediately think, well, okay, I get why you might have to do that, but it's not just about retreating from the world. The mind, just as a wisdom move, is also telling itself, proving to itself that it can put it down. It can put it down so that it can pick it up. It's like going to bed and having a good night's sleep. It's a real talent when you've got a mess in your life, whatever it is, your relationship's falling apart, the bathroom's a mess, whatever it might be, big or small, and you realize rightly that I'm exhausted. You know, I fought the good fight, but the bathroom's still a mess, I'm going to bed. (laughs) Or the world's still a mess, I'm going to bed. And that they call that in Buddhism the bliss of blamelessness. Like, I've been doing the best I can with an imperfect mind, an imperfect body, imperfect world. I've done the best I could tonight, today rather, and now I'm going to bed and I'm going to sleep. You know, the sleep of the just or whatever. And I'm going to wake up and I'm going to do it again. And it's the same, it's really the same spirit of retreat. I'm going to go away for a month and then I'm going to show up and I'm going to do the best I can. And I think it's not just sort of formal retreat practice or a deep uh, moment of concentration in the middle of a meditation period, but it's also all kinds of little things, like really taking advantage of seeing what's beautiful. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I'm not sure you were here, Louis, about touching joy, seeing beauty as another way of turning our attention. Because it's really important to be intimate with the suffering but it's not helpful to be attached. So the way we prove that we can be intimate with suffering but not attached is seeing that we can turn away from it for moments at a time or days at a time. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up, Lewis. And I think Tim had some thoughts. And then we'll cover a few things before we break into small groups tonight. So what's the problem with letting go of everything? Oh, okay. Oh, I think we can leave it there. So I thought uh, for the small groups tonight, 15 minutes or so, 
that uh, one topic that might be really useful because it's so real to all of us is to look at what do we notice is in the way of our heart being friendly? What is in the way of our heart being friendly? Instead of thinking about, oh, there's aversion or there's judging or, or wanting to get to friendliness, it's really more about noticing like the activity that means, that shows us, demonstrates to us that there isn't friendliness, isn't love there, isn't tenderness there. What is that that's in the way? That's really nice about forgiveness because that part of the practice of forgiveness is exposing what's in the way. Like, who can't we include in the heart? I might have mentioned this a week ago or so, but uh, Ram Das, many of you know, responsible for bringing some of these Eastern teachings to the West back in the late 60s and 70s, still teaching even today, after a pretty serious stroke a number of years ago. But anyway, he, um, his teacher, Neem Karoli Baba, a very well-known sage in India back then, um, told him as he was leaving uh, to go back to the States, he said, never put anyone out of your heart. So as we're moving through our day and even as we reflect, I mean, this is the beginning of Forgiveness practice is just to notice who's not included in our heart because we know they're mad at us because we've harmed them or we're mad at them because they've harmed us. So where are those places that are unfinished? Who are we uh, unwilling to bring to mind or when we bring them to mind, we feel justified in having hate? Because that's just interesting how we justify negativity. I mentioned this many times in the last few weeks of this class, how I've been noticing it around political humor and uh, how, how easy it is for me and us collectively, those of us who are watching that thing, viewing that you know, comedian or whatever, how easy it is to justify people being really mean to other people, saying really negative things. And it feels, it, it can, if I'm not attentive, it can feel so natural. Like, well, of course, <laughs> you know, we're just fighting back or we're just, you know, giving somebody the same medicine back. But the, the thing that amazes my mind is how easy it is not to see the hate in that or the negativity in that. And so it's really important for us, like when you're sharing tonight, to reveal, if, you, if it feels appropriate, the different places in your life where y- your heart feels justified separating, throwing somebody out, throwing something out, either because you're afraid or because there's judgment, or you don't feel good enough. But one way or another, the activity of separation and alienation and the ways we fragment the world, that's something the mind has to do. So to look into what are the attitudes, how is the mind constructing the world so this makes sense? 
And in the light of day, in the light of awareness, a wise, balanced attention, does it make sense to divide the world up in this way, to push people out? And to really look at our edges, as that passage Sharon said, you know, it's the place, it's the edges where we really learn. This is from Aya Kema. Some of you know her, a wonderful teacher. She's dead now, but one of the Westerners who really got Buddhism going here in the West, German woman, but spent a lot of time teaching both in the States and Germany and other places. She says, this is in her book, which is, by the way, a great book. If you haven't seen it, it came out a while back, Being Nobody, Going Nowhere, by Aya Kema, this German nun, Buddhist nun. Love is most importantly cultivated when we confront someone who is totally unlovable. That's the time when we really do the work of changing heart and mind. We are forced to it. Most of us know someone who is difficult to love. We should be grateful for that. In retrospect, it is easy to be grateful, but when we confront that person, all the negative sides arise in the heart. Dislike, hate, justification for our dislike and hate rationalization, anger. The time to be loving is when all the negative feelings arise. It is the best time for it. And remember, she's not saying to love the person. Just to be loving. So the first step is to be loving with what's real in that moment. And what's real in that moment is the hostility we're feeling toward the person or the justification. But it's some expression of tightness. And this is often why it's so confusing for us. We miss the mark. We think, I have to heal this relationship. But what we have to heal is the mind's relationship to what's happening in the moment. That's what we have to let in. Um, One of the articles, I haven't mentioned it in any of the emails, but you can find it on our webpage, the Buddhist Studies org, which I just sent out in the email this afternoon, is a scanned copy of a chapter that Ajahn Sumedho wrote in a collection of articles by some Western Vipassana teachers, some monastic and some lay, called Voices of Insight. Actually, it was written to raise money for Ram Das when he had a stroke some 12 years ago, whenever it was, and uh, Sharon Salzberg edited it and Ajahn Sumedho had a wonderful article and it's called uh, Nothing is Left Out or Nothing Left Out, maybe. And it's scanned and it's up on our webpage, the Buddhist Studies webpage. And I highly recommend it. Many of you have read it before. And it's, of course, worth reading again. But if you haven't read it, it's really important because Ajahn Sumedho does a really good job making this point about understanding metta, friendliness, this goodness of the heart, isn't like how to... Get away from the idea of, I gotta love everybody, or I gotta care about everybody. We just have to, in every moment, we just have to care about, we just have to be willing to let in the way it is in that moment. It's never theoretical, it's never abstract. Can we be tender? Can we be sensitive? Can we be undefended? with whatever's predominant in this, in this moment. So if I'm like feeling despondent, despairing, can love, can this basic goodness of the heart include that? 
Forget about loving the world or loving our president or loving anybody outside. It's just, can I include what I'm feeling right now? Because this is where this whole idea of categories can be, uh, I don't know what to call it, some kind of shadow in loving-kindness practice. Because it can confuse us in thinking, oh, I've got to love everybody. But even like it's correct how it is in the Vasudhi Maga because it's really done not as, oh, I've got to love everybody. It's you start with somebody you already love. And, and in bringing them to mind, you remember, oh, yeah, there is love. This heart is capable of love. And you're really appreciating that love, right? As, as love, not love for that person. Remembering that person was just a useful technique to remember this heart is capable of love. And then you're basically doing what I'm saying as you expand to the other categories. is oh, I need to love these people. It's, it's more like you're aware of the love. That's what your meditation object is. And as you're aware of the love, you're just curious, like, does this person belong in that? radiation of love? Is there anything that doesn't belong in that radiation of love? That's why there are the different categories. And if you look how it's written in that, you know, you have the easy people, and then you have the neutral people, and the difficult people, and then all the people to the north, and all the people to the south, and to the east, and to the west, and then the intermediate directions, you know, to the northwest, and to the northeast, and to the southeast, and the southwest, and above and below. And you just go on and on like that until, but that's just, you know, I think part of it is that the culture at the time, they were very, um, you know, philosophically, you know, they had this sort of system, this system of logic or philosophy where, you know, they covered their ground in this way. And so the, this text reflects that. But the, but the point is that you're feeling this natural expansion, this natural generosity. It's really a generous feeling, a non-stingy feeling, an immeasurable, boundless quality. And it's something that we directly tune into. And so then it's quite natural to be curious because we're aware of that, to be curious like, is there anywhere this doesn't go? Is there anything this doesn't include? Is there anything outside of this feeling of love or this attitude of love? Right? So that's where all these categories came from. But we don't need to be confused by that. We just want to find a way into back to that attitude and then tune into the expansive quality of that attitude and discover for ourselves with practice that it can include everything. It can encompass, fill the space of the mind. So whatever the mind does is affected, is colored by the non-aversion, the non-hate, the non-stinginess, the non-fragmentation or divisiveness. In the same way, when I'm irritable or grumpy or fearful, then it colors everything. When I see you out there, I'm self-conscious, you know, I'm defensive, I'm needy, I'm, you know, when my mind is colored 
in those limited ways, in those kind of more normal emotions of fear or whatever. Wanted to read a little bit more from Sharon's book. There's just a, let's see, what was it here? This is again from that chapter, Working with Anger and Aversion. All of these teachings are available to us if we can be aware of what we are feeling in the deepest possible way so that nothing is blocked from our consciousness. Then we can examine what is our struggle? Why are we struggling? It is important to understand that no one thing makes us feel a certain way. Nothing stands alone in this conditioned world. We live in an interdependent reality where we have the situation of the present moment and everything we are bringing to it as well. Somebody could get up and do something in the middle of a room. Some people could become excited. Others would be afraid. Some people would become angry. Other people would be amused. It is not that a given action, whatever it is, dictates a certain response. There is a situation. There is everything we bring to it. And there is everything we bring to it. So we must take responsibility for our own mind. We live, hopefully, not just to drift along in the wake of different reactions going up and down all the time. Having a sense of purpose, such as the development of a loving heart, is the key to living a liberating practice. If we can learn to see and understand all of these painful mind states of anger, fear, grief, disappointment, and guilt as states of aversion, we can learn to be free of them. Being free does not mean that aversion will never come up in our experience. Being free means that we can purify it. We can see it clearly, understand it, and learn not to be ruled by it. And having seen it clearly, which is the function of wisdom, we can also hold it in the vast, transforming field of acceptance, or what we could call love. And that's the most important seed, you know, for our remaining weeks and then on from then with this practice of compassion and kindness is to have this sense of possibility so that when we're in a dark or negative space, negative attitude, we don't think that it's like we don't justify it, which is what we tend to do when things are difficult. We make excuses. I mean, it's okay to to understand, you know, I don't know how to get out of this or I don't know how to practice with this, right? But even that is a move towards compassion, isn't it? Like to go like, I'm really caught in this, to acknowledge that this really hurts. I mean, already we're starting to turn. We're already close to, I really care that it hurts. It isn't easy being a human being. It's probably not easy for the other people in the room, too. And it all begins with, uh, it's like keeping in mind that non-aversion, love, or whatever you want to call it, that it's actually available. It's always available. Nobody is condemned to have a mind of negativity. And what makes it seem that way is this arrogant conviction that I'm different. In this moment, you know, I'm in such a bad place. 
And it's, it's like uh, we believe the story that we tell ourselves about some limitation of our mind. And this is one of the nice things to keep playing with it throughout the day, like just the friendly attitude, because we start seeing it isn't something we've concocted, it's really more something we've put down. We've put down temporarily the irritation, the negativity, the judgment, right? We see the puppy. It isn't the puppy. It isn't that I like puppies or I had a puppy when I was growing up and now I see a puppy and it reminds me. Like, that's the rationalization. So, yeah, the puppy was there, but now I'm feeling something. There's an attitude here. And that attitude is not the puppy. Because other people seeing the puppy would be like, that puppy just poops. I I heard a news story today on... Minnesota Public Radio about the biggest cause for algae blooms and, you know, the excess, was it phosphorus or whatever it is in the lakes and rivers is animal pets, the pet feces and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's something else, I forget, maybe fertilizers on, yeah. But yeah, all those people with, like our cat doesn't use our litter box anymore, it just likes to poop outside. We're part of those people. So it's like (laughs) different people have different attitudes about pets. And um, so the question is, what can our mind do with this moment? What What are we letting the mind do with this moment and why? Why not have a friendly, find a way to have a friendly attitude? You know, I think part of it is we're afraid people are going to judge us as being superficial or sentimental or, you know, dumb because we're friendly. You know, we're not edgy enough <laughs> or something like that. So we just need to make love cool again. <laughs> Some good marketers or something. So does that give you enough to work on with your small groups? What gets in the way of a friendly attitude? How can you turn it around? And so it looks like we have maybe 75. So why don't we count off by 25? This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org.